we don't know if they went too hard in the first hour, which is such a common mistake for novices to make. It's such a common mistake for anyone to make in bike racing, just in general, not even beginners. I'm talking about straight up professional riders who get paid to ride their bike, make this mistake all the time. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast, powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and this week we're talking about how athletes respond differently to training, the what, when, why, and how of tapering, and how to recognize when you're dealing with everyone's least favorite B-word. That's right, bonking. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. If you haven't yet tried their new endurance gel formula, head over to flowformulas.com today to see what all the hype is about and use the discount code IgnitionPodcast10 for 10% off your first order. And as always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. And if you have any questions for the show, drop us an email at matchboxpod at gmail.com with the email title of the Matchbox Podcast or head over to Ignition Koshko and fill out the Matchbox Podcast listener question form. All right, let's get into it. Okay, so this first question here comes from, uh, well, their email is specialized at gmail.com or something. So I uh, don't know your name, I apologize, but... I say, hi, great show. Love the differing opinions that everyone brings in their honesty. My question is, how much performance variation have you seen from individual to individual for the same amount of training load over a preparation season? For example, I only have to do about half the load of my competition in mountain bike, road, time trial, triathlon, and gravel, and I still beat all of my friends. I discovered that my body responds better to less but targeted workouts and far more rest than they'd get. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Uh, P.S. Don't be too hard on Dylan. He's still a good person. Thanks. Still a good person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wow. So I don't know if that was a subtle flex by this guy. Like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. he. We're not sure who. We're not sure who it is. He definitely got dealt the genetics card. uh, Yeah, that's what that's what I'm about. That's what I'm about to bring up here. So. I think we have talked about this on on this podcast before, but there is research into how people respond to training, and it's it's pretty interesting stuff. They give like a large group of people who are for the most part sedentary, so these are not athletes, they're just sedentary people. They give them the same training regimen. All of them train exactly the same, and then there's a and then what ends up happening is that obviously there are high responders and there are low responders and and it ends up being a bell curve and most people fall somewhere in the middle but then there's people who for that amount of training they responded really well and they made a ton of fitness games and then there are people who didn't respond well and they barely made any fitness gains at all throughout the course of the study and so i think whenever we get this question of like oh how much can i raise my ftp in a year or something the obvious answer is it depends i mean i think anybody would have guessed that but it 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 depends on you know how how well you respond to training it sounds like you respond really well to training if you're doing half as much as your competition and still beating them yeah so i mean it, they they do bring up you know the point that their training is more targeted and they uh input more rest into their training which the rest component and even the targeted training component it i think that can can be uh, really effective for older athletes, you know, so we're talking mm-hmm. master's level athletes. So we don't know much context here into, uh, you know, demographics of this person, you know, how old they are, how, how trained they are at this point. 
Um, you know, maybe, maybe they were super fit before they started doing half the training volume of their friends already. And now they're kind of just in maintenance mode. We don't know if they're, they're continuing to improve at this point, but, uh, rest and, you know, specifically targeted training can, can be very, very effective, uh, for master's level athletes. So it's possible that, uh, that that's what we're working with here too. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things we don't know, right? We don't know how his friends are training either. They could be riding sweet spot for 25 hours a week and just like digging up endless hole into the ground. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. Was it, it's, I feel like one of the most common mistakes that people make who don't have a coach, uh, dropping in that ignition coach co commercial right now, um, who don't have a coach is that they overtrain. Uh, and so it sounds like, yeah, it might be the case that all of his friends are overtraining and he's actually training the proper way by like doing targeted workouts and then recovering from those uh, high intensity workouts. So that could be what's happening here. Um, but I mean, I totally feel like the genetics is it sounds like uh, he got dealt a, a good a good hand. <laughs> I wish I wish I had that where. I only had to train a little bit and I could beat everybody. <laughs> I've had people like, I've, I remember somebody telling me like, uh, I won't mention his name, but like telling me about a pro rider who they thought didn't train that much. Um, mm-hmm. and that, that, that I should check in on them to make sure they were training because he, the, the person was really good. Like, I'll just say he, he was an, a, a professional national champion. And my friend was like, yeah, I don't think he trains that hard. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He's, he's like, he's one nationals like how do you how do you get away with not training that hard and you win you're the fastest guy in the u.s it's like well i guess genetics is a part of that but yeah and we see this all the time right with with pre-built training plans where you know let's say you have a pre-built training plan and 50 athletes sign up for it all 50 athletes are probably going to respond differently to that training Mm. stimulus you know some of them it might be the exact training plan they needed Others, it might be completely opposite of what they needed. Uh, some, you know, don't respond at all. Some, I mean, there, there might be some that even get worse with a pre-built training plan if it's like really not conducive to how their body responds to the training. So, you know, I mean, that, and that's part of why we emphasize individualized coaching because <clears throat> it gives the coach the opportunity to learn the, the athlete's physiology and, you know, what works for them and then cater the training plan custom to what their needs are. Haven't they even done a study with two identical twins to try to even eliminate the, uh, you know, the genetic differences and they still end up with pretty different outcomes or am I making that up? I don't know about that. I'm pretty sure I've read that probably not like a study, but I've read it in a book, I think where they took identical twins and could be did did basically (laughs) what Dylan said. I, I, I don't recall a study like that. I, I'm not saying that a study like that doesn't exist. I just, I just don't recall reading. Yeah. One. I've definitely read something about that, but maybe it was just a hypothetical. <laughs> yeah. So hypothetically, <laughs> the, hypothetically, those two people would still probably end up at two different spots, even though, even with similar, almost like similar. Exact well, I don't, genetics. I don't know. I don't know if they would, if they had the exact same genetics. Well, but like there's still the, two individual people. The so conclusion, like, the conclusion of the the population study or the studies that look at a you know a, have a a large cohort of people, and then there's a bell curve. The conclusion that they come to is that it's the genetic difference in the people that causes this difference in outcome. 
because they all had the exact same training plan and they all, they all basically lived the same for the, you know, for the length of the study. Yeah. I guess I'm saying that like even more, even more than genetics is even like a determinant. Like if the genetics and the training were the same, it still would end up being there is what I'm saying. Well, you don't, you don't know that you just thought you heard that in a book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it makes sense to me. Like, Okay, but how about uh, we know. not? How about we not throw out things that you thought you heard in a book? <laughs> All right, so, so Drew, so take right, it. I'll do some. Take I'll do it, some research. You could take it a little bit closer to home. How many times have you done? Like, like, do, do your do your seasons look the same year after year, or do you switch things up? Um, I don't know. Are they what look- I'm getting at is, is do you ever respond differently to the same exact training plan? Like, if you if you go through like a VO2 max block, sometimes you respond differently. Yeah, probably. I would think because there's other life factors and stuff to be thought of. For sure. That's I guess that's what I'm trying to say is like there, even there's a lot more that same, goes into it. Than, more, than, yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's yeah. a lot more factors that get added in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, we don't know who this listener is because they didn't give us a ton of context, um, and we don't know their name. But if you are listening and you want your friends to get as fast as you, send them our way. We'll, we'll coach them up. <laughs> Or if you want to just smoke your friends even worse, you know who to call. That's right. Okay, let's move on to this next question from Robert. Uh, and he's talking about tapering. So we, we've talked about tapering in the past, but we can we can kind of touch on the basics here. Uh, so Robert says, hi, it's race season. Please give me some advice on how to taper for the last two weeks leading up to my event. I'm training 12 to 15 hours per week. My next race is a 100K gravel race in the Masters 60 plus category. And of course, I have the Pathfinders on my bike. Thanks, Robert. Nice. You don't need a taper. Just ride those Pathfinders all the way to the start line, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, tapering. Something that seemingly a lot of people screw up, right? Like, how many people do you talk to and they're like, oh, I screwed up my taper. I did too much or I did too little or whatever. Um, I think it takes some experimentation, but the basics of tapering is that you, and, and they've done research on this where they've actually had people lower their volume and then they've had another group lower their intensity. Uh, and they saw which one came out better. The group that lowered their volume and not their intensity came out better. Um, so there, there's research to back this up when you're tapering, you want to lower volume and you want to maintain a relatively high intensity and, you know, that doesn't mean every ride is hard, obviously. Uh, hopefully, you're already not training like that, in which case you've got bigger issues. Um, but the hard rides probably shouldn't be so... You, you probably shouldn't feel like you have nothing left in the tank after these rides when you're actually in your taper. The hard rides instead should be, you know, let's say you do five VO2 max intervals normally maybe cut that down to three. So you're still going as hard as you normally would go during the interval, but you're not going until exhaustion like you normally would. And that's in contrast to a, like a typical recovery week because during a typical recovery week, you usually, uh, somewhat try to maintain volume and, and eliminate intensity, right? I mean, there's different kinds of recovery weeks, but I would say a recovery week in the middle of I don't know, base season would be just lower volume and lower intensity. It's all around lower training load. Yeah, I guess that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But during a taper, it's important to keep that intensity up. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and that's probably the the biggest mistake that people make is just neglecting the intensity aspect. Or doing too much too close to the event. You know, there there are people that will stress over not getting enough training 
leading up to the event and they'll be kind of cram training right up until two or three days before. And you have to, you have to recognize that the intensity that you're doing during the taper week is not really to improve your fitness. It's, you know, you're trying to shed fatigue, but also just maintain sharpness. So doing that interval workout three days before, you're not trying to get the most out of yourself. You're just trying to kind of keep things sharp. So you like, like Dylan saying, like, that's why you don't want to go to exhaustion three days before, like save that for race day. If you race a lot throughout the year, like I'm, you know, in specific, I'm thinking of like a cyclocross season where you're, you're racing, you could be racing like nearly every weekend or every other weekend throughout the cross season. Uh, I feel like when things are that consistent, you start to get into a pretty good like habit of like you figure out what works best for you, like which days to work out so that you feel good for Saturday and Sunday. And at least with me and my experience throughout the season, I feel pretty good come race day on Saturday, Sunday. Uh, and so, you know, I'm not like, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't deviate too far from that. Even when I am tapering for like the big a race at the end of the season, um, yeah, because I already know that that works pretty well and it has all season. So I kind of just stick to the plan. And I mean, yeah, I might, I'm not trying to make any big gains the week of the race, but I'm not doing that much different than I would on any other race week, I guess, because I already know that that works, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And that's a good point. You know, if, if training is going really well leading up to it, it's true. You don't, you don't want to deviate too much. Again, we're, we're just trying to shed some of that fatigue, you know, so that yeah. way you can, you know, because especially a race like this, you know, assuming a hundred K gravel race is going to be harder and maybe longer than most of your longer training sessions. Like you want to make sure you have enough in the tank for the, the end of that race, you know, a cyclocross race, you're only racing for an hour. Um, you know, at nationals, you're only racing one race, you're not doing back to back races. So you you can, you know, you, you just want to make sure that you have enough, uh, energy in, in the, you know, in the tank for, to get you through the end of the race too. So you think a bigger, bigger or a more demanding race requires maybe a little bit more recovery going into it, or I guess more taper, if that's what we're saying. Uh, it depends though, because you I also would, need to, you need to carry a higher level of fitness too, to carry yeah, you through right. the race, you know, right, I, would, right. I would almost make the counter argument that the shorter and higher <clears throat> intensity, the race, the, the more fresh that you need to be and the Correct. longer and lower intensity, the race, the, the less fresh you need to be. I mean, it's still, still want to be fresh, but in, if, if we're like picking and choosing, which one do I need to be more fresh for? I would say a shorter, higher intensity effort. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's a good point to bring up too, for, for some of these longer events. Sometimes what goes wrong with the taper is, is not so much to do with the taper, but the execution come race day, because all of a sudden, like you might feel more fresh than you were, than you have been in your training because you have that extra half week or a week of, of lower volume. And the fresher you are, the, the better you're going to feel, especially early on. And, and I, I see it a lot and I've, I've done this, you know, made this mistake myself where you use that freshness in the first hour or two, and then you fade as the race goes on. And, and it's really easy to kind of, you know, deviate from your in, intended pacing plan or, you know, our strategy, because you feel so much better. Like you, you do have more freshness in your legs. Uh, you know, but whereas like with the cyclocross race, like if you come in super fresh, like hopefully you can just maintain that freshness for the whole hour. And that's, it's part of. Mm-hmm. Part of the benefit of coming in with with fresher legs. Mm-hmm. Anything else I, to add there? I don't think so. We have time for one more. We can try. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Uh, okay, this one's uh, from Plamen. She says, hi, I am from Bulgaria. You probably have to Google it to find it. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm new to cycling and triathlon, uh, and I also like mountain biking too. I started cycling about two years ago, but got more serious last November. I got a plan from Dylan's Training Peaks offerings, the XC build 10 hours per week, and I did it twice, first time with pretty good adherence, and then modified it a bit to add running for the second time. I got about 50 watt increase in FTP total. A question for your backlog. I recently did a 100K mountain bike race. Took six hours. Uh, last year was six and a half hours, so she improved. Um, or they improved, I guess. I'm not sure. Uh, I felt amazing up to the 80th kilometer and then felt power starting to drop pretty badly. <clears throat> I ate and drank a considerable amount of calories, so I don't think I bonked. Just felt weak. Is this a matter of volume? I'm doing road rides in zone two between three and five hours each weekend on top of some shorter zone two and sweet spot slash threshold sessions during the week. Is it just a matter of getting used to working for longer periods? Maybe it's just a matter of grinding some more. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Well, there's some information that we don't have. Like, you know, we don't, we don't know what her pacing looked like relative to what her you know, her threshold is like, we don't have a power file with where we, we know what her FTP is. And then we saw what percentage of her FTP she was riding at for the first hour and whether that was too high or too low. Uh, a lot Roman of, it is a Bulgarian masculine name, by the way. So we apologize. Um, so did it, wait, did I say she? Yeah, that, that was my fault. Okay. Well, we still, we still don't know. So we don't know if we don't know if they, went too hard in the first hour, which is such a common mistake for novices to make. It's such a common mistake for anyone to make in bike racing, just in general, not even beginners. I'm talking about straight up professional riders who get paid to ride their bike, make this mistake all the time. Um, so the pacing could have been bad and, or, you know, I mean, it could, uh, genuinely be something in your training. Like you need to be doing longer train training rides to build your endurance or maybe be doing intervals at the end of your ride to build uh build your ability to you know go at high intensities under a fatigued state um but it's 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 hard to know if i were coaching plowman is that his name plowman yep um if i were coaching plowman i i know that he says uh he thinks he's not bonking but again, that's, uh, he didn't tell us exactly what he's eating and, and what his goals are like per hour carbs per hour. And then if I were coaching him, that would probably be where I would start is let's, let's dissect exactly what you're intaking during this race. Um, cause I feel like that is the most common mistake. Yeah. Pe people do make pacing mistakes and I think they make nutrition mistakes that end up having him feel the way he's describing the way he feels at the end of a race where he, he just doesn't feel strong. Um, so that would be one of the first things that I would want to chat with him about just to make sure that he's getting the, you know, the recommended 60 to 60 plus carbs. 60 is really the minimum is what I tell people. Uh, nowadays it's like 90 is like standard. And if you can do more than 90, that's even better. But 60 is like bare minimum. Yeah. He might not realize exactly how much you have to eat in order to do well in an endurance race. Most people don't because it seems like a gross amount. <laughs> right, right. And that's yeah. kind of what I'm trying to say is like you might even think you're not bonking or think that you're eating enough. And then when you actually kind of sit down and do the math, you're, you're actually not getting enough in because it is like 
kind of crazy how much carbs you take in for like a six hour race or should be taking in. <clears throat> I tried to, uh, I tried to get this point across to a triathlete friend of mine a couple weeks ago. Who's, um, she's only done one like Ironman before, but she's doing another one this year. Um, and I could tell that she was like super green, like, you know, just kind of winging it. And so I'm telling her like, you got to drink carbs and eat carbs. And I, I even had her like, show me what she, she had done a half Ironman one of the days that I was with her. And I was like, show me what you ate and drank while you rode. And she showed me and I was like, that is not nearly enough. She went for like the sugar-free Gatorade version, oh basically. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I know. I'm like, that's like, it's like this common, it's like this misconception, I guess, of like, oh, I got to do the sugar-free because that's healthier. But like, it's counterintuitive to what you're trying to do while you're doing a hard event like that. You you need that sugar. And so I was trying to like nail it into her, like, come on, you've got to intake carbs. And I even showed her like everything I was eating while I was riding. And I, I, and I think this past week she went out and did another thing and like another big training run. And I think she passed out after her run because she didn't take in enough carbs. And I was like, I guess I didn't nail it into her hard enough. <laughs> but I texted her after that. And uh, I even sent her a, a coupon code for flow and said, you need to get this ASAP. And she said she was ordering it right away. <laughs> like, I guess it only takes you that, you know, takes you passing out to, to realize you need more carbs. Mm. All right. We're going to, we're going to wrap it there. Take enough mm. carbs. So you don't pass out. Yep. There you go. <laughs> All right. Thanks guys. Yep. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the matchbox podcast. Like I said, at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to matchboxpod at gmail.com with email title, the matchbox podcast links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn more about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch you all soon. Let's go!